This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right, let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. Ah! I'm on content overload. (laughs) I can't tell you the amount of content I've consumed. You'd be so proud of me. Like, my pop culture meter like I'm good I could take like a year off is it because you're sick (laughs) so you've just been lounging around and here's why I don't do it because I can't let it go I'm like obsessing (laughs) over all the things I've consumed great Gatsby being one of them look I know I'm behind Uh on the times okay (laughs) (laughs) at least you're not talking Robert Redford great Gatsby you're talking Leo great Gatsby yeah and I mean I read the book in high school but I reread the book so good. I'm like, is this one of my favorite books? It's so good. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real life creeps from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. So then I went down a Great Gatsby Leo rabbit hole. After I quit calling oh. him Matt Damon, I guess I get him confused with oh, Matt Damon. No. That's a whole separate <laughs> thing. Then the Manti Teo documentary. Then that was living rent-free in my head for days. So then I was like down this yeah. catfishing rabbit hole. And then I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm finally like hopped up on all the cold meds. I, I'm out of the rabbit holes. I'm settling in for some sleep. And what does Taylor Swift have to go and do? And then I was like, I'm done. I'm done. This, this has been too much for two Two days of just, <laughs> I'm a mess. I would like to point out that she's she's very impressed with herself because she watched The Great Gatsby and the Manti Teo documentary, <laughs> which means she'll be covering it for the podcast. <laughs> I don't know. I want to, but golly, I just, I'm so. Oh, well, now that it's been spoken out loud, the people are going to clamor for it until you do it. I know, it, because so. it combines all of my favorite things. One, college football. <laughs> Two, mm-hmm. Polynesian culture. Three, just the absolute audacity of someone to catfish someone mm-hmm. else. And honestly, a four, there's a fourth. The, the timing of dramatic music, it's just done so well. So... <laughs> I love all of those things. It might happen. I don't know. I do love a good catfishing story. People do love to get high and mighty about their catfishes, though. You know, they're like, I would never. Okay. It's so interesting. Okay. No, we'll save it for the mini creep. But that is interesting because people say that. And then obviously he's like, okay, y'all need to remember this is 2009. Like, no one was really talking about that. Like, it wasn't as. Right. Well, I mean, the word didn't come into existence until Catfish, the documentary, and Catfish, oh yeah, Catfish came out in 2010. 
So people were really, I mean, when Catfish came out, it was such a mind-blowing concept that someone would do this that everyone was shocked by the ending of that movie. If that movie came out today, people would be like, yeah, idiot. Duh. Duh, she wasn't real. But it was so bizarre. Yeah, I need to watch the movie. Why is it called catfishing? Is there something the animal does that... Yeah, in the documentary of Catfish, the Neve goes out to meet the girl who turns out to be this older woman. And the older woman's husband, he's sitting on like a rocking chair in front of their house talking to Neve. And he's talking about how I don't remember the exact like lore of this story, but he's talking about how there was some fish that they were transporting that kept like getting to its place and it would be rotten or whatever, like the fish would die or, or something would happen. And so to solve this problem, they started putting catfish in the tanks with them. And the catfish would like chase them around and like nip them at their heels, like basically keep them on their toes so that they couldn't get complacent and like die die. or I don't remember exactly what was happening to them. But basically, it's a metaphor for like the catfish are the ones out there like keeping you on your toes, making you pay attention, making you watch out, you know, Mm -hmm. that's like the catfish. And so that's why the documentary is called Catfish. And then that like bond this word into our like vernacular that's so common now it happens all the time it's like wild that 12 years ago i didn't know it came out this was so i thought it was yeah i just looked yeah so in 2009 you can't be mad at this kid like what oh yeah you know what i will cover it fine fine (laughs) i guess (laughs) i don't know how to like watch something and take notes that seems beyond me but well, I'm sure smart girl like you can figure it out. And you've already seen it. So and then now I can't wait to watch parts, it again you know? and just be like, ugh. <laughs> I'm sure we'll cut yeah, all of this, should... right? I mean, we're not going <laughs> to. Just <laughs> we'll going cut. off on all the content I've consumed. Yeah, cheer season two. I don't know. We've gotten so many messages about how people love it when we just like talk <sighs> and talk and talk before we get to the story. They can't. They love it. Why are they love here? It. They want us. Why are they here? They want us to keep on just like talking about a bunch of <laughs> nothing. You know what? You think that, but then I drop something like this. Like I'm going dress shopping with my mom, Louise, next week, and that the people do want to know about that. I can't wait. <laughs> I cannot wait. Mogab is very wary, and I am very excited for the content that that is going to that that event will produce. Yeah. It is. It is going to be an event. So stay tuned, everybody. <laughs> oh, you okay? No. You all right? I'm there? on Mo death's Gab's- doorstep. <laughs> Disclaimer: Mogab is under the weather. We pushed recording back two days, but if she sounds like that husky version, like Phoebe in that episode of Friends, <laughs> where she's like so sexy now, that's why. <laughs> mm. Mm. Life doesn't happen biweekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. 
Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. All right. Are you ready to get into this story? I don't know. Is this going to put me in a good mood? Yes. Okay. Let's continue right. then. Okay, great. It's a, a very uplifting story as usual. I don't know why you would think this. <sighs> I was thinking and I was like, I've listened for once a week, sometimes twice a week, for <laughs> almost two years, just a terrible story every week. And uh-huh. somehow it hasn't broken me. But then I was like, it's almost been 100 episodes. And I was like, wait, it's been more than that. We've already hit 100 because we have like we're like 90 or whatever on the regular, but then we have the 12 bonus and we record. Oh, And I was like, right. we have yeah. recorded literally almost two years. We've been doing this for two years. <laughs> almost. I'm like, what's the end Our game Our anniversary here? is coming what's up. What's the end game? What is the end? I think about that all the time. I don't know. I do this until nobody's listening anymore. <laughs> First off, a big thank you to Kent Whitaker for his memoir of the events I'm about to describe to you. And if you think this story is interesting, I highly, highly recommend going and reading his book. If I put in everything I wanted to, this episode would be like three parts long, maybe longer. So obviously couldn't do that. And also a big thanks to Jeff Strange, an ADA from Fort Bend who wrote an article for the Texas District's Attorneys Association on this case that was super helpful. And I didn't even know that was a thing. It makes me want to go into this like Texas District Attorneys Association magazine and like see what else, what other nuggets hey. of gold they're hiding because this article is really helpful. Fort Bend, that's close to us. Or, or close to See, sí, senorita, because we are in Sugarland <gasps> for this one. The Sugarland Skeeters? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They do. They have a minor league baseball team called the Skeeters. I think it changed though. The, now they're the Space Cowboys, which, you know, I, get I do it. usually keep up with my minor league baseball. I thought so. Um, I was very shocked. I, I missed the news on that one. On December 10th, 2003, Bart Whitaker was 24 and had just finished his last final exam in his last semester at Sam Houston State University. Uh, go Bearcats. He hadn't graduated yet, but he'd be walking the stage soon, and his parents were thrilled that he was finally done. His mom, Trisha, was so proud. She ran around screaming, thank you, Jesus. It had been a long road to Bart graduating. He'd actually started out at Baylor University in Waco, Texas, and he'd gone there for two years, but he'd really struggled. He hated Waco. He hated the kids at Baylor. He was really unhappy. And so he'd asked to transfer to Sam Houston. That university, it's about an hour and a half from Houston. It's in Huntsville. I know you know this. I'm telling the listeners. It's in Huntsville, Texas, which is most famous for the very large prison there. And the Jolly Fox. Give it a little credit. (laughs) And it's it's close to Lake Conroe. And his family actually had a townhouse in Willis, which is like right next to Lake Conroe, that they used as a vacation property. And they agreed to let Bart live there while he was in school at Sam Houston. And after the transfer, he seemed to do much better. It had taken another four years or so, but he'd finally 
done it. He had graduated. His parents, Trisha and Kent Whitaker, they decided to take Bart and his younger brother, Kevin, out for a celebratory dinner at Papado's, which is like a Cajun seafood restaurant that's really big here in Houston and in Dallas. But I looked it up. They don't have a lot of locations elsewhere. Mm. But they're like a chain because there's like Papacitos, the Mexican restaurant, Papa Joe's. Yeah, they're part of the Papa's no, Papa's Not franchise. to be confused with yeah. Papa John's, though. That Papa lives right. here in Louisville. Oh, you got your own Papa. <laughs> we got our own Papa. Yeah, they got Papa's burgers now. They got Papa's barbecue. seafood, Papacitos, Papa's barbecue. Yeah, Papa's barbecue. <laughs> Y'all got a lot of Papas. And they're all at the airport. <laughs> right, yeah, that is true. <laughs> Before the family left for the dinner, they took some pictures and Kent and Trisha gave Bart his graduation gift, a $4,000 Rolex. It was what Bart had always wanted. The family finished up dinner and headed home to their house in the Sugar Lakes subdivision, which is an upscale subdivision in Sugarland. Oh my gosh, I've been there. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And Sugarland is a suburb of Houston. They pulled into the driveway and started walking up to the door. Bart said he'd left his phone in the car, so he walked back to the car to grab it, and Kevin, Trisha, and Kent continued to the front door. Kevin was ahead of everyone else because he'd driven that night, so he had the keys to unlock the door, and the second he walked in, a gunshot went off. (gasps) The bullet hit him right in the chest, right in the heart. (gasps) Trisha was right behind him when it happened, and before she could even react, a second gunshot went off. The bullet also hit her in the chest, and she fell bleeding in the doorway. (gasps) Kent had been standing at an angle at the door, and Kent is the dad, so Kevin's the brother... Trisha's the mom, Kent is the dad, and Bart is the other brother. Who's older? Kevin? Yeah, Bart's the older brother. Kevin is like 19. Yeah, Bart's like 24. Kent had been standing at an angle at the door, so he wasn't facing the doorway directly like Kevin and Trisha were. Mm -hmm. And this saved his life. He saw a figure dressed in all black and wearing a ski mask for maybe a second before the gun went off a third time. The bullet hit his left chest and then lodged in his shoulder. Bart was behind them at this point. He ran inside and tussled with the shooter, and then he too was shot. The gunman ran off through the back door, dropping the 9mm Glock handgun on the kitchen floor by the back door, and leaving all four of the Whitakers bleeding in the front doorway. Calls started coming into 911 from neighbors reporting the shooting and a masked shooter. Bart also managed to call 911 to report that he, his mom, dad, and brother had all been shot but that he'd managed to chase the shooter out of the house. The dispatcher asked what race he thought the person was, and he said he didn't know, but maybe black. He said he'd been shot in the arm. He couldn't move it. A neighbor, Cliff Stanley, heard the shots and came racing onto the scene. He saw Kent lying on the ground first and ran up to them. Kent told them he was bleeding very badly, and Cliff took his own shirt off to try and stop the bleeding from Kent's bullet wound. Like a tourniquet. Yes. Uh, that was my understanding. They didn't say that he like I, – I, or pressure, yeah. either a tourniquet or just like applying pressure. I wasn't sure which. He then went to Trisha, who was still alive and moaning. Cliff asked her what happened, and Trisha said, he shot us, but she wasn't able to say who. Cliff saw Kevin lying there in the doorway and knew it was already too late for him. Bart was in the living room, wounded, bleeding. It was a horrible scene. Police and ambulances descended on the home. Kevin was declared dead at the scene. 
Trisha was transported by helicopter to Memorial Hermann Hospital, but she didn't make it. Mm. Kent and Bart were also taken to the hospital, and they managed to survive. But they couldn't tell the police anything. The shooter's face had been completely covered by the ski mask. The most Kent could say was that the skin he'd seen in the eye holes had been white. Sugarland Detective Marshall Slot was the on-call detective that night, and he couldn't believe it when the call came in for a quadruple shooting. He thought the dispatcher was joking at first. The murder rate in Sugarland is practically non-existent, but he quickly realized that this was no joke, and he headed out to the crime scene. As soon as he got to the Whitaker home, an officer pointed out a black leather men's glove that was lying on the curb next to Bart's Chevy Yukon. It's the vehicle the family had taken to Papado's that night. As Slot began to look around the house, he realized that the crime scene was weird. At first, it looked like a robbery gone wrong. In the primary bedroom on the first floor, every single dresser drawer and side table had been open. All the drawers pulled out, but only pulled out about two inches and nothing had been taken from them. They didn't even look rifled through. It's not even like they ransacked it or anything. No, and all the drawers looked like they were pulled out almost the exact same amount. Like, these robbers were very neat and orderly. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I would appreciate that if I get robbed. <laughs> there was a pillowcase lying on the floor next to the bed, and nothing had been stolen. Not the jewelry that was lying in plain view, not the expensive computers and video equipment. And the only fingerprints that were found in the house belonged to the members of the Whitaker family. Which I'd always, I've always been kind of like curious about, like, how do they do that? I mean, are they dusting every single surface and then running every single print? Yeah, I mean, like, it's not like one bedroom you have to check. Right. So I don't know how they determine that. That seems like a lot of tedious work. I also think about that, like, you know, we are not the first people to live in this apartment. So, like, our fingerprints from the people that lived in here before us in here, like, I've thought of that before. Like, if something happened to us, would people come in and be like, oh, like this print, but it's like people that lived here before. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm like, does yeah. that give the people that lived here before a free pass to kill us because their fingerprints are probably here? Okay, but on the plus side, it gives you a free pass to kill the next Yeah, to go back. Also. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, but you don't have a free pass anymore because we've said it on the podcast. So yeah. I'm going to leave it in to hold you accountable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't worry about this one. The gun the shooter dropped in the kitchen turned out to be registered to Kevin Whitaker, a gift from Bart. He had a gun safe in his room. It was a pretty isolated spot. Like, you'd have to know it was there to find it. Hmm. And the safe had been pried open by a blue crowbar. It had left blue paint scuffed on the metal of the safe where it had been pried open. And the shooter had taken the gun and ammunition out. So this shooter came to the house armed with a crowbar and no gun. They'd managed to figure out that there was a gun safe in the house, located it even though it was in a really weird location in the youngest son's bedroom. Luckily, they had just what they needed to pry it open, and they took the gun and ammunition out of the safe. It was pretty obvious that the shooter had prior knowledge of the home, and they'd just done a bad job of staging the scene to look like a robbery gone wrong. This was not a random act of violence. This was an assassination. Because even if you you aren't coming to kill an entire family with a crowbar, the crowbar was to get into the safe. Because. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Even to if, get the gun. Yeah. Because even if you didn't, even if you were going to say like, oh, no, 
I didn't know there was a safe. Okay, so you only came with a crowbar? Which, how do crowbars right. keep coming up so much in our... <laughs> do you have one? Do we need to get one? Like, is that like a household item I might need? I do not have a crowbar. But I mean, like, no. I feel like everyone's got them. Should I register for a crowbar so that you can buy it for me <laughs> off my wedding registry? Yes, absolutely. Can you open the gift at the wedding like it's a birthday party, though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because everyone loves to watch people open gifts. But I could register for it, let you buy it, and you could, like, paint it pink and purple and put our logo. <laughs> like, instead of a spirit yeah. stick, it's like a creeper's crowbar. Oh, 100%. We I could uh, sell it as merch. <laughs> we could start selling creeper's crowbars as merch. What, so more people can break into safes? No, but, like, I don't know. We're don't, selling murder weapons now? <laughs> Listen, it's because I've been watching all the content of the spirit stick. The cheer. <laughs> I do not have a crowbar. But you could. But I could. So a little bit about the Whitaker family. Kent Whitaker met Trisha Bartlett on a blind date. They lived in Sugarland, And yes, 48 hours did make a Life was sweet in Sugarland joke. Because why wouldn't you? <laughs> why wouldn't you? It's your typical suburb, middle and upper middle class neighborhoods, very white collar area. Kent was a successful accountant. Trisha was an elementary school teacher. Kent said he walked into her house for that first date, not really sure what he was expecting. But when he saw her walk down the stairs, that was it. He knew it. He was smitten from day one. And it only took him a couple of months to realize that he was in love with her. They were married for two and a half years when they had Bart, and Trisha quit her job as an elementary school teacher to stay home with him. Two years later, they had Kevin. Have you ever met a baby named Kevin? No, but I love it. I cannot picture a baby named Kevin. (laughs) I love that. It's what I think about when I meet a Barbara or like a Stuart. Baby Barb. Yeah. Babs. Oh, yeah. Trisha absolutely loved being a mom. Her boys were all she ever talked about, and they were a really close family. Bart, the oldest son, was very intelligent, always did well in school. He had a quirky sense of humor, and he shared a love of distance cycling with his dad. They even rode the MS-150 a few Mm -hmm. times where you ride from Houston to Austin. Which, like, that's just a different breed of person, right? Like, 100%. My cousin's done it a couple times. I know at least once, but I think she's done it twice. Kevin was the fun son. He was like the life of the party. He was a very gifted athlete. He was everyone's friend, but also very sensitive. He had a very strong sense of justice and maybe a proclivity to hold grudges. Sounds like me. (laughs) Yes, it it really does, actually. Yeah. He's like, I know right from wrong. And if you do wrong, like, that's it. And I'm, you know, we're not cool. We're not cool. Bart was not as outgoing or as athletic as his little brother, but they were incredibly close. And Kevin really looked up to him, who he and his friends thought were so cool growing up. So cool. The Whitaker house was the place to hang out for all the neighborhood kids. It was the cool place to be. They were a very loving Christian home. And Trisha and Kent were like second parents to so many kids. It seemed inconceivable to everyone that this could have happened to this family. Kent and Bart both recovered from their wounds, but they were angry. Kent told Detective Slot that he wanted him to catch whoever had done this. And Detective Slot swore that he'd find them. I'm sorry, you may have already said this. What year was this? 2003. I think 2003. Yeah. 
Six days after the murder, more than a thousand people came to the funeral to share their memories of Trisha and Kevin Whitaker. Kevin's friends talked about what a faithful, loyal friend he was, how much he looked up to his brother Bart as his hero. Trisha's friends talked about how much she loved her family, how they were everything to her. There was an undertone of anger at this funeral that the person responsible for their murders was still out there. Yeah. Detective Slot was determined to keep his word, but he didn't have much to go on at first. They tested the gun and found a partial palm print, but it wasn't enough to get a match. They tested the glove for DNA, but nothing came back. The shell casings left behind didn't lead anywhere. But soon enough, Slot had a suspect in mind, and it was not good news. Mm. On December 12th, 2003, Sugarland detective Billy Bow got a tip that Bart Whitaker had not actually graduated from Sam Houston, that he wasn't even a student <gasps> there. So police requested Bart's transcripts from the university and discovered that they had Bart listed as a freshman on academic probation. Wait. Not even close to graduating. Wait. I just got, like, transported massive P- PTSD. Who was the girl? That it had to be Je- a st- uh, Jennifer, what, where she just kept like lying, like she like. Li- yes. <laughs> oh, I forgot all. She- and she also killed her family, right? Yeah, she did. And Wait, I was going to what was do the this case? story where she just kept. It was like, oh, she went. She gra- She didn't even graduate high school, right? But then she, she never like even graduated high school. To Jennifer be- Pan. Jennifer Pan. Yes. <laughs> Okay, she literally didn't even graduate high school, then faked that to get into college, then pretended to be going to college and was like going to a library, mm-hmm. studying the thing. Ugh. Then pretended to graduate from college and be a pharmacist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, creepy. I know. I know. Oh, we, we have to do a mini creep on like our top 10. Like we both need to rank our top five most hated people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That'll be fun. That'll be a fun one. He was not even enrolled as a student anymore. No, no. Slot did not like it. This was a big lie. And why would Bart lie to them about graduating? So Slot went back to Kent, who was still in the hospital down the hall from Bart to tell him about his son's lies. That's like four years of lies. Four years of lies. And how are these people Kent, getting away with graduating? I'm using air quotes, and their parents not being all up in it. Could you imagine me being like, well, he, "Hey, Louise, I'm graduating, but don't come." Like, I don't know. We talked about this with Jennifer Pan. I don't know how she did it. Bart hadn't yet graduated. He'd just finished his last final exam, so yeah. he was like about to graduate. But I don't know what he was planning on doing about graduation. So Kent was dumbstruck at the news and he was completely horrified to realize that because of this lie his son had now made himself a suspect yeah so as soon as the detectives left kent hauled himself into his wheelchair and rolled himself down to kent's room told bart's girlfriend to leave them alone and then started yelling at him he was like what were you thinking how could you lie to us He told him that now, because of this lie and because of a few previous brushes with the law, the police were going to think he was behind the shooting instead of going out and looking for the real killer. Right. The previous brushes with the law turned out to be a series of break-ins committed by him and a few of his friends from school 
They once figured out how to bypass their school's burglar alarms by breaking in through the skylights, and they started just regularly breaking into the school. What are you – for what? What are you even getting? Well, the first few times, it was just, like, for the thrill of doing it. Like, you know, it's just fun. But after a while, they started stealing stuff, like computers. Mm. Bart and his friends were arrested, and his parents pulled him out of Clements High School and put him in a private school for his senior year, hoping that by getting him away from his friends at Clements, he wouldn't get into any more trouble. They chalked it up as an adolescent dumb mistake, not a sign of a serious character flaw, and they put it behind them. But now, Kent knew that his son was an outstanding liar, and the last at least four years of his life had been nothing but lies. I mean, are they paying, like, college tuition money? And he's just pocketing that? I mean, I got a lot of questions here. Yeah, I don't... uh, Yeah, I I think so. And I'm like, why weren't they paying the tuition directly to the school? Or are they thinking... Why are they giving him the school's tuition? I don't know. No, I think they were giving him... I mean, we'll get into it a little bit. I think they were paying his tuition. (laughs) Uh, and they were also letting him live in that lake house rent-free. This like, is wild. I can't believe I'm over here drowning in student loan debt and I'm a good human. And we got these asshats that are able to- They just gave him a $4,000 Rolex. Yeah, I know. Bart told Kent that he was sorry about lying about graduating from college. He said that his work had gotten crazy and he was working really long hours and he just didn't have the time to finish. And he didn't know how to- t- Where is he working at? Olive Garden? <laughs> no, he was actually working at a country club um, oh. in, in Lake Conroe. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He said that they were like short staffed and so he'd had to work like so many more shifts to keep up and he just didn't know how to tell him and his mom that he wasn't graduating when they'd really been looking forward to it. And he thought that maybe he could take the classes he needed the next semester and nobody would have to know. You need all of the classes. You, you need... Three years of classes. It makes me wonder if the detectives had just not told him the extent of it, if they had just told him he was he hadn't graduated, because surely Kent would realize that Bart couldn't have made up three plus years of college in one semester. Bart would also later say that his mom, Trisha, did know that he wasn't actually graduating. But according to Kent's recollection of this conversation, He's saying here in the hospital, because this information right here comes from his memoir, he's saying that Bart didn't know how to tell either of them. And also, Trisha's friends remember how excited she was and proud that Bart was finally graduating. She's like, thank you, Jesus. Also, Kent and Trisha had been giving Bart tuition money. So he's just using that money to live on and party on. But then about a week after the shooting, Detective Slot was given an absolute bombshell. A bank teller from Dallas named Adam Hip had come to the police station wanting to speak to the lead detective on the case. He'd heard about the Whitaker murders and he had information he thought the detective should know. So they met up in the parking lot behind the police station. I don't know why they didn't meet in an office, but they met in this dark parking lot like there's some you know, no war film, like detective Yeah, because I think that makes for a better... <laughs> yeah. And Adam story. told him that he'd gone to high school with Bart and that back in 2001, two years before the murder, Bart had tried to recruit him in a plot to kill his entire family so that he could inherit all the money from his parents, which Bart thought would be like a couple million dollars. 
I'm sure it is not. It is not, Bart. It is not. Adam didn't know if Bart was serious at first until he realized that he had an incredibly detailed plan of exactly how he wanted it to go down. He had plans for his old Baylor roommate to drive down from Waco and deliver a gun to him, which Adam was supposed to use in this plot. Adam drew out a diagram for the detective that showed Bart's plan, which was for Bart to leave the door unlocked and turn the alarms off in the house so that Adam could get into the house while Bart took his family out to dinner. And when they got back, Adam was to shoot the members of Bart's family one by one as they came in through the front door. What? To fool the police, Bart wanted Adam to shoot him in the shoulder so he'd also look like a victim. It was a play-by-play of exactly what went down in 2003. Catch me not wanting anyone dead enough to be willing to get shot in the shoulder. Like, I'm just not... Uh, yeah, no, please, no, never, never anybody shoot me. Please. It's, yeah, it no, hurt. It looked like it hurts real bad. Yeah. But here's the thing. Kent and Trisha, they knew about this plot in 2001. <gasps> What? They'd, they'd gotten a call in the middle of the night from the police in Waco back in 2001 <gasps> who were calling to see if Kent and Trisha were safe. A girl had called the police to say she'd gone to her friend's apartment and her friend's roommate happened to be Bart Whitaker. Something came up on the TV about the Menendez brothers who were famous for killing their parents and Bart made a comment about how dumb they were and then explained how he would do it. His plan was so detailed that the girl was scared enough to call the police and let them know. Catch me if I'm getting that phone call, never going out to eat with you, ever. Anytime you suggest dinner, I'm not interested. Right. (laughs) Right. Kent was so confused by this when he got this phone call. It just didn't seem like the Bart he knew. Bart wasn't a total stranger to trouble. Like I said, you know, he'd been in these break-ins in high school. But the way his dad phrased it in his memoir made a lot of sense. He said, the shooting came six long years after that incident in high school, and Bart was a master at hiding things from us. The few warning signs were obscured by a forest of success, and we believed that Bart's problems were behind him. Kent had called Bart at the time to ask him about this whole thing, and Bart was able to convince him it was all a misunderstanding. And then the actual shooting That wasn't the first attempt at murdering his family. Way back in his freshman year, Bart was living with a friend from high school, Justin, and their friend Will would visit often. These were guys that in high school would like challenge each other on who could be the worst. So this is his freshman year of college. Yes. And these are like his high school friends that he's like living with in Waco. And Bart said that might be where this idea of murdering his family first came from. I mean, what could be worse than that? Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. I think about like, I don't know. The worst thing freshman high school boys were doing is playing the penis game in the cafeteria. Like, who can yell? No, they're freshmen in college. I know, but you said they're friends from high school. It's just like, that's (laughs) what I picture, not let's murder our parents. Well, it's like if you're thinking about how you could be the worst and you just keep getting worse and worse and worse and your ideas keep getting worse and worse and worse and then you're like, I'm going to murder my family. And then... Yeah, how do you top that? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, Bart, Justin, and Will planned the murder. Will was going to be the shooter, dressed in all black and wearing a ski mask. Justin would be the lookout and the driver. Will would get inside the house, find the murder weapon, and wait for the family to come home. 
The only difference with this plan, really, besides the people involved, was that Bart didn't want Kevin to be murdered back when he was a freshman in college. It was only supposed Mm. to be his parents. But as they're putting their plan into action, Bart changed his mind about the whole thing. But he couldn't tell Will and Justin that he'd changed his mind. He had to save face. So he just made sure Mm -hmm. that the doors were locked and the alarm stayed on. And when Will couldn't get in through the door, he tried a window. But when the alarm went off, he got spooked and ran. Hmm. Four months later, Bart tried again. Will had gone back to Oklahoma. And this is when Bart approached Adam Hip about shooting his parents. This is the guy that told, told detectives about the plot in 2001. He said he picked Adam because he was easily the most corrupt person he knew. The two of them and Justin started talking about all different scenarios that the murder could happen, and this time Kevin was included in the plans. They thought about setting them on fire at a lake house, but decided that arson would be too easy to detect. And they kept arguing over the best way to do it until they finally settled on a plan and Adam agreed to be the killer. It was to happen while they all slept. Justin was going to get a gun from someone in San Antonio. Then he was going to steal a car and drive the gun to Houston. But while he's doing that, the girl came over to the apartment, overheard what was said, and decided to call the police. And then not only that, but the car Justin stole had a broken gas gauge and ran out of gas on the way to Houston. (laughs) Once the girl (laughs) called the police, a squad car was sent out to the Whitaker house, and Kent called Justin from the house trying to get a hold of Bart and handed the phone off to the cop. So now Justin knows there's police at the Whitaker house, and so they aborted that plan. That was It was not until the third attempt to kill his family that he was successful. So why is Kent... Right? Yeah, the dad. Mm-hmm, the dad. Acting like, now you're a suspect. Like, Oh, he, he doesn't believe him? it at all. He doesn't know so all of this. The only thing he knows is that some girl heard a story about Bart wanting to kill them. And Bart was able to convince him that it was all a misunderstanding. They had no idea. Yeah, but about now th- you're laid up in the hospital. Like, you still don't think it's him? I think he did. I think deep down... He did, but he was not going to face that reality without hard proof in his face. Yeah. I mean, I guess what do you do? Like your kid's telling you probably you didn't do it, you know? Right. And they had been really close growing up. I mean, they had, you know, kind of grown apart during his college years when he's spending all this time lying to him. But growing up, they were like buddies. And so how do you look at your little buddy and you're like, yeah. Oh, you, there's no way you just murdered your mother and your brother. Right. And you're trying to think like you. we raised you. So yeah. surely we didn't. Yeah. Once Detective Slot spoke with Adam Hip and discovered that these murders had been planned for such a long time, he thought that Adam might be the shooter. But Adam had an alibi for the night of the murders. He was at work at a bank and it was all in Dallas and it was all documented. But they still could get him on conspiracy charges for this murder plot from two years before. So Adam got a lawyer and they struck a deal. Adam would not be prosecuted on conspiracy if he agreed to help police with their investigation. He'd already given them two names, two other players that Slot now knew about, Justin and Will. That was Justin Peters and Will Anthony. And they tracked Justin down in San Antonio, who admitted to being a part of this original plan in 2000 and then again in 2001, along with Will, 
But it became clear that they weren't involved in the actual shooting, the 2003 shooting. So detectives moved on. Slot now had a pattern. Bart liked to work with his friends. Each time he had this plan, it was just full of his friends. So who were his friends in 2003? Which, like, could you imagine? No! No! Like, (laughs) I I want to meet you at the wine bar to talk about guys and whatever, like, I don't know, health kick we're on. and <laughs> Right. Like, Not only had they just convinced, he had convinced three people to help him kill his family. Now he's convinced more people that actually went through with it. So who were yeah. his friends in 2003 understand. that would be likely to be a part of this? Slot quickly learned that in December of 2003, Bart was sharing a townhouse with 21-year-old Chris Brashear who worked with Bart at the Bentwater Country Club. Bart's parents were paying for that townhouse, by the way, a place he was supposed to be using while he was in college, but instead he just partied there. And a few doors Hmm. down from them lived a guy that Bart had gotten a job for bartending at the country club, and his name was Stephen Champagne. Brashear and Champagne were both brought in for an interview, and they agreed to submit scent and DNA samples. And I googled, How do you submit your scent to police? And didn't come up with anything helpful. But I'm guessing. I feel like that's just what a dog is for. Like you like bring the dog around. But like you. uh, Oh. Yeah. I don't know how you. Maybe you just like shove the dog's nose in your armpit. Maybe you like describe it. It's like a fillable form. (laughs) Like. Like the bottom of like a a candle. Into dry wood. (laughs) Citrus. Hawaiian pineapple. I don't know. That's what I would want mine to say. I'm guessing maybe you give them like a piece of clothing that smells like you or something. I don't know. I don't know how how anyone proves that they didn't have some random person rub it all over their armpit, though. Maybe the police swab Mm. their armpit. Mm. I don't know. Anyway, that's what the source said. It said scent sample. Police did a scent lineup with some bloodhounds. And again, not a thing I've ever heard of, but I'm loving it. Uh-huh. And the bloodhounds alerted on Brashear's scent, which meant that he'd touched the glove found at the crime scene, as well as the murder weapon, the drawers in the master bedroom, and the gun safe. I don't know how they would differentiate each scent, but this is what the ADA said that I that I read that article. <laughs> I did do a control find to search for the, <laughs> the ebook, the memoir, on scent sample, but I got nothing. Kent scent didn't talk sample. about scent samples in his book. The police went back to Adam Hip and they got him to agree to call Bart, record the conversations, and try to get him to say something incriminating about the shootings. Before each phone call, Detective Slot and Detective Bao would meet with him to basically give him a script of how they wanted the conversation to go. Adam made five or six calls to Bart, and he told him that he'd seen the news of the murders, and they looked oddly similar to the murder that they'd planned out in 2001. He said that Sugarland hmm. police were coming up to Dallas to interview him, but if he got paid, he wouldn't say anything to them. Oh, so Lord. Bart agreed to pay Adam $20,000 in exchange for him not saying anything. So police set up a P.O. box in Dallas, and I finally found the perfect assignment for you if you had continued with your criminal <gasps> justice career because one of the detectives was sent to just monitor this P.O. box. Oh, Yes, please. <laughs> and and maintain. Except they, they would like open it. My face would be in there. <laughs> and maintain the chain of custody of any evidence mailed to it. You're perfect. <laughs> oh, my God. Sign me up. Please. 
On April 1st, 2004, while I was busy riding my senioritis high, a Federal (laughs) Express mailer was sent to this P.O. box, but it did not contain $20,000. It contained $240 in cash. And you're not going to get this reference, but I'll gladly explain it. Uh, The name on the return address was K. Soze. Do you get the reference? I do know you. No, I was hoping you would say like Jay Gatsby. Um, <laughs> no, no, something, something. Wallaby Way from Finding Nemo. Oh God, the no! P- you think he's Wallaby making a Way. Disney reference? No, but that's that was well. This is had. the opposite. <laughs> the the name oh. was Kay Soze. Kaiser Soze is the villain in one of my favorite movies, The Usual Suspects. Yeah, I know that name. Which unfortunately oh. happens to be Bart's absolute favorite movie. He had an ob- obsession with Kaiser Soze, who in the movie was basically the devil incarnate. He's a criminal mastermind who was able to trick detectives into thinking that he was a nothing. And he ended up getting away with all these elaborate murders. In the article by the ADA, he notes that Bart would often quote the movie's closing line to his friends, which was, the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the world he didn't exist. And I would just like to say, I also quote that line. Wow, that's a really good quote. All the time. I quote it all the time. But I hope for much different reasons than Bart. (laughs) When do you quote that? Why? Whenever I can. Whenever it comes up. (sighs) The greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the world he didn't exist. Such a good line. Mm. (laughs) Anyways, I hope I quote it for different reasons than Bart, who obviously sees himself as Kaiser Soze. So Bart puts K. Soze as the sender, but he lists his actual address in Willis, Texas as the return address, and the mailer is covered in his fingerprints. Oh, Lord. During this whole time, Bart, like after the shooting, Bart had been living with his dad, Kent. They had been really bonding. They'd been doing physical therapy together, just spending a lot of time together. You know, like I said, they'd been really close when Bart was growing up, but they'd grown apart during his college years. and as is evident by Bart's numerous plans to murder him. But Kent just was not ready to believe all that until the police gave him proof, which at this point they had not done. They'd given him several warnings about Bart and had made several attempts to get Kent to sever ties with him, but he just wouldn't. Bart, at some point in all of this, had also gotten engaged to his girlfriend, Lynn, who he'd been dating since high school. I believe she'd gone to Baylor and had also thought that Bart was about to graduate from Sam Houston. She said that he'd never spoken ill of his family to her, but he had told her he'd been adopted by them. Interesting. Yeah. She later had found out that this was a lie, but just ignored the red flag for what it was and continued to date him. They had their wedding set for July 24th, 2004. This upcoming wedding did make Kent a little uneasy. He wasn't completely steadfast in his support of Bart. There was just something in the back of his mind that kept telling him it might be true. And he worried that if the wedding went through, Bart would be in a position to hurt her family for their money. And her family was in a much better financial situation even than than the Whitakers were. So there could be... And she doesn't know about any of these previous plans. Not yet, but she, she, the police do tell her, like, they're trying to be like, hey, you need to, like, get away. But it's not like she got engaged to him knowing 
about the 2001. Right, right. Or that he was involved in the 2003. Yeah. Yeah. So there could be a lot of motive there because her family was rich. But Kent never thought that greed was Bart's motive. Every single one of his friends that has talked about these past plans all say that he talked about how it was uh, money. He wanted the money. It was always about an inheritance. But Kent doesn't believe that that's true if he's guilty. At this point, it's an if he's guilty. He doesn't think it's for the money because Bart generally got whatever he wanted. And he certainly didn't need the money. He was never hard up for cash. There wasn't like anything that he Uh needed. The thought that truly haunted him was that if Bart was guilty, was it possible that the only reason that he'd done what he'd done, murdered his entire family, was to see if he could get away with it? To see if he could actually be Kaiser Soze. In his memoir, Kent uses an example from the movie Trading Places to illustrate this. But really, the example is right there in The Usual Suspects in Bart's favorite movie. One of mine, too. There's a scene where people are talking about the lore of Kaiser Soze because he's just kind of this like unknown figure in the movie. And they talk about a time when some of Kaiser Soze's enemies came to his home and threatened his wife and kids, like holding a knife to their throat if Kaiser Soze doesn't do what Mm. they want. But instead of surrendering to them to save his family, Kaiser Soze killed his wife and his children (sighs) so that they could never be used against him like that ever again and to show all of his enemies who they were really dealing with. And that was like... That feels counterproductive, though. That was like an illustration of how evil this guy is. Like, you know. So if he's so obsessed with the usual suspects and with Kaiser Soze, like, maybe he's doing it to prove that he is like him. Mm -hmm. Like, he can also kill his family and nobody can get to him then. Yeah. Mm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Creepers. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine, 
But the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pros custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. Wow. Then one night, Ken was working out at home and Bart came in to say that he was going to meet up with some friends at a club and then he was going to go into work early the next morning. So he was planning on staying at Lynn's that night, his fiance's, since she lived close to his work. At this time, he was working at the Hotel Icon in Houston, where actually Leslie and I stayed for a little staycation a few years ago. Yeah. It's a really nice little boutique hotel downtown. Kent said goodbye to Bart, told him he loved him. Bart left, and he stayed gone for 15 months. (gasps) Wow. The next morning, Kent got a call at work from a Houston police officer who asked if he was the owner of a 2001 Chevy Yukon. And Kent said that it was his son's car. And the officer told him that it had been found in the parking lot of an apartment complex in southwest Houston with the door open and the engine running. And immediately, Kent knew that Bart had gone on the run. He later discovered $10,000 missing that he kept at the house. It had been seven months since the murders when Bart had been working at Hotel Icon and a busboy named Rogelio Rios, who went by Rudy, told him, why don't you just disappear to Mexico? He told him that he'd get him in contact with his family down there. So that's exactly what Bart did. A week later, he was crossing the border into Mexico. He'd paid Rudy a few thousand dollars for his identity and an escort down to Seralvo, Mexico. Apologies to all of my Mexican friends. Oh, Lo Siento for sure. That did you see my my Facebook post though yesterday trying to figure out Chaco? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so bamboozled. Is that a is that like a mascot? Our mascot is the bulldog, but our drill team is called the Chato. Who is and our, it's like, you know, our very what? our who's what? Oh, sorry. LaPorte High School. Oh. They're the Chados. And I'm like, that's such like unique. You know, everyone's just like the, you just add et on the end. The Rangerettes, the Falconettes, you know, whatever. And I'm like, ours is so specific. And I, in high school, was told it means Chado, or Chado in English means bulldog. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. It's not a, <laughs> not a direct translation, let me just tell you. So last night I was trying to explain to Russell. So, of course, I'm like, no, it, it really does mean that. So I did the, hey, Google, how do you, you know, and we were laughing very hard. <laughs> so Bart began his life in Mexico under the alias Rudy Rios. Being a white guy, he stood out in this town, especially trying to go by the name Rudy Rios. 
So he Mm -hmm. came up with a story to get people to stop asking questions. He told them all that he was a soldier that had been injured in combat and had gone AWOL. Hearing that, the story made sense to people. They basically knew it was a fake name, but like knew why it was fake. So they just stopped asking questions. Bart went from having everything in his life handed to him on a silver platter to becoming a day laborer in a poor city, forced to stand on his own two feet with just the $7,000 that he'd stolen from his dad and the little bit of Spanish that he'd picked up. I'm sure it's very fluent. Yeah. He started ingratiating himself in the community, making friends. He started going to church. And it was there that he met Cindy Lou Salinas, who played guitar at the church. Wait, is it really Cindy Lou? Cindy Lou, but it's like one word, S-I-N-D-Y-L-U. Cindy Lou. Oh, I know. with an S. Yeah. Cindy, Salinas. Cindy Lou Salinas. Anything for Salinas. <laughs> he and Cindy Lou hit it off immediately. I guess he was just over his fiance Lynn. And he started bringing Cindy Lou flowers. She thought he was very handsome and mysterious. Mm-hmm. And her family loved him. Her family, by the way, happened to be one of the wealthier families in town. Her father even gave him a job at the family's furniture store and said that he grew to love Bart like a son. Bart would tell him all about his time in combat that had never happened and that he didn't want to kill people anymore. And that's why he was there. Hmm. While everyone in the U.S. is scrambling to find Bart, who's murdered his family, he's living a completely normal life in Mexico. He would go with Cindy Lou to the movies, to dinner, to bars, to clubs. They'd spend time with her family. She said that he was a very good boyfriend. He was very attentive and romantic. So this was 15 months, you Mm -hmm. said, right? But no one's like, I mean, he's just able to go to Mexico? Well, he... I mean, because I guess... Bought that guy's identity. But I mean... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which maybe I need to get into that business because... I would maybe sell my identity. Not for four grand. I'm worth more than that, but. <laughs> then then who are you going to be, MoGab? I'll still be me, but then I could be like, hey, this person stole my identity and they took out all these student loans <laughs> and did all this stuff. And then I could report them. You I know, know it's this like. isn't a terrible idea. They're, they're not just going to forgive your loans. But I didn't take them out. But you're going to have to pay for them because it's your identity. Unless they find and prosecute the person responsible. Okay, well, like, I, and that person happens to be able to pay for them. <laughs> I mean, it's not all the way thought through yet. Okay, but. I'm trying to saddle no. someone else with these student loans. Any suckers available that want to pay me well, loads you know of money? So, <laughs> I know. And I do feel like our listeners have like really also like taken on some of the burden because everyone thank you for sliding in my dms with the update on student loans i appreciate this is a collective effort and you are so appreciated (laughs) but there were little red flags that cindy lou had started to pick up on the first was when she caught him trying to break into her family's safe they let that's yeah a bit of a red flag they had let him put his cash in there so he did have stuff in there But it was also where they stored their own valuables. And Cindy Lou said that when she caught him, he told her, I want to open the box to see what's inside. And then you and I are going to keep the money. Uh, Open the box. What a weird phrasing. I I wonder if it's like a translation thing. Like she really meant safe. I'm not sure. 
But the real kicker came after Cindy Lou had gotten into a terrible argument with her mother. She'd been so angry that after the fight, she'd smashed her guitar on the floor. Bart came to comfort her and he said, don't be mad at your parents. If you want, we can just kill them and then you won't have to be mad anymore. It was the first time that she'd ever felt afraid of him. Over the next year, he'd make comments about his past, about how he'd done bad things in the past, but he'd like to change it and how he wishes he hadn't done it. Later, Bart would say that he struggled with a lot of guilt in Mexico, so much so that he almost went insane. But back in the U.S., investigators had put up a reward for information on Bart's whereabouts, and there was one person who knew where Bart was. And his loyalty to Bart did not extend past a reward. So the Uh. real Rudy Rios called Detective Slot, anonymously at first using the name Mike Jones, and told him that he knew where Bart Whitaker was because Bart had paid him $3,000 to help him get there. Rudy said he thought Bart was a cool guy, but if there's a reward, he didn't care. He'd turn his ass in. Yes. So investigators paid Rudy $10,000 for the information. So Rudy is making out like I know I'm like abandoned here, not thinking this is a terrible idea. (laughs) They paid him for his information and then they set up a sting to get Bart. By this time, Bart had fled Seralvo and he'd gone to Monterey, Mexico and was looking for work. So police in Mexico set up a job interview at a restaurant in Monterey. And when he came in for the for the interview, they arrested him. And then soon he was dumped back into the U.S. where Detective Slot was waiting for him. While investigators had been looking for Bart, so over these 15 months, they'd also put wiretaps on the cell phones of Bart's co-conspirators, Stephen Champagne and Chris Brashear. Mm-hmm. Champagne had joined the Marines. He'd graduated from Marine Intelligence School and been reassigned to Camp Pendleton in Oceanside, California. Brashear was still in Houston, and the cell phone records were being monitored, but there was no evidence that they were calling each other, which put a big wrench into the investigation, so that's why they got approval for the wiretaps. They weren't speaking with each other, but they had been subpoenaed by a grand jury, and that got them talking with several friends and family. Yeah. There were several things that they said that were helpful, but just nothing that was a slam dunk. They weren't like, Man, I got this grand jury subpoena for that murder I committed. You know, <sighs> it what yeah. nothing like that. But then on August 28th, 2005, Stephen Champagne decided it was time to talk. And so he met up with Detective Slot at a Starbucks in Conroe. <clears throat> and he told him everything. Kind of. He told Slot that he had been Chris Brashear's getaway driver from the Whitaker house that night. But he claimed that he had no idea Brashear had been planning on murdering anyone. Later, he failed a polygraph because he definitely did know. And so his immunity offer was pulled. But Champagne ended up giving a full confession on videotape like the guy really wanted to talk. He ended up implicating himself, Brashear and Bart in the murders of Patricia and Kevin Whitaker. And he said he had evidence to prove it. He said that there was a bag of items that they'd used in the crime that they dumped over a bridge into Lake Conroe, and he said if they could just find the bag, they'd have all the evidence that they would need. 
It was a DPS trooper named Brandon Curley who managed to recover the bag. And I I tried to find information on if this was like a dive team, like how they found this bag a year, over a year later, but they did find it. And it was just as Champagne promised, a treasure trove of evidence. There was a dust buster that had been used to clean the getaway vehicle. There was a blue crowbar that matched the paint on the gun safe. Oh, it's a crowbar. (laughs) A water bottle with Chris Brashear's DNA on it. And several bullets that matched the type used in the murder, which was like a very specific type of bullet. DNA must just like not go away. Like I would think that like the DNA on the water bottle would be gone. I th- I think it was just bad luck because it was like I no you I mean you can def I'm sure it could be washed away I'm sure a lot of evidence was washed away but they were in this canvas bag th- yeah. and I guess it preserved some of that and they were able to get it that's just impressive I wonder what kind of bag it is I hmm. be interested they didn't say what a great advertisement for the bag though oh yeah it really is this bag will. Sealed so tightly, even DNA will be preserved. (laughs) In December of 2005, the Fort Bend district attorney announced that he would be seeking the death penalty for Bart Whitaker. But it had been decided that neither Brashear nor Champagne would have committed a violent crime without Bart's influence. And so Brashear would not face the death penalty. And Champagne had agreed to a plea bargain for 15 years in exchange for his cooperation. I'm really hoping that his name is pronounced Champagne. It might be Champagne, but... Uh, I mean, even if it is, you're going by Champagne. Right. that is tight. (laughs) 100%. (laughs) So he agreed to a plea bargain for 15 years. Adam Hip and the others involved in the earlier conspiracies received immunity agreements for their testimony. Which, I mean, means they can't... Nothing can happen to them, essentially. Right. Yes. As long as, like, I I think immunity agreements are, like, pretty specific. They're like, as long as it doesn't turn out that you actually were involved in the actual 2003 murder, then you're immune. Like, Like, you're basically immune from everything that happened in 2001 if you agree to testify for it. But if we find out other stuff, then this is this agreement is void. Like, you cannot be the murderer. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. The next year, in December of 2006, Bart sent a Christmas card to the first assistant district attorney that said that he should keep his family in mind during the holiday season, which definitely sounds like a threat. But the ADA also saw it as more evidence to put Bart on death row. And Bart was saying he was just wishing the guy Merry Christmas. (laughs) During Bart's arraignment, he refused to enter a plea. So the judge entered a plea of not guilty for him. It's almost like he didn't want to admit to guilt, but he knew the evidence was way too overwhelming for him to be able to say that he was not guilty. Yeah. The first person to testify was Kent, who, when faced with all of the overwhelming evidence, had finally been forced to reconcile the fact that his son had murdered his whole family and tried to murder him. That's so sad. I know. Kent was the only witness to the crime besides the shooter, and he described how it all went down. At trial, several recorded jail calls between Bart and Kent were played, and in one, Bart is complaining about how his lawyer had sent an associate to court for a recent hearing, and he said, we're not paying for legal aid here. I want the big guns. (laughs) 
Stephen Champagne testified on day three and said that Bart often told him that he was an orphan and he would tell Champagne that he was like the brother he never had, as if he didn't have his own brother. Yeah, I feel like that you can only really say that when, like, you know, you actually don't have one. Right. Right. Exactly. Or your brother's just terrible, you know, and so you don't get along or something. But him and yeah, Kevin but, like, were really shot close. Him. Yeah. He said in late summer of 2003, Bart started joking around about killing his family to try and gauge their reactions to the idea. In September of 2003, the jokes stopped and Bart just straight up asked him to shoot his family. He said he'd get his family out of the house and Champagne could kill them when they came home. He said that eventually Bart was able to convince him to be the getaway driver after telling him that he was already guilty of conspiracy to commit murder. So he basically was like, saying he was blackmailed into this. Right. Champagne also talked about a conversation he had with Bart a couple of months after the murders. Bart and Champagne met up at a restaurant in the Woodlands, which is another suburb of Houston. And Bart made it clear that the job wasn't finished and started talking about ways that they could kill his father, Kent. Like, again? Like, like after the murders, he's like, the job's not finished. How are we going to get my dad? Who survived. Uh. Yeah. When Will Anthony, Justin Peters, and Adam Hip testified, a new pattern became clear. These were all people involved in the former conspiracies, and they each talked about how Bart had become their friend while they were going through a really tough time in their lives. Justin Peters' girlfriend had just been killed in a car accident, and Anthony and Hip had both been expelled from their schools for poor grades. It seemed like Bart recognized a weakness and jumped on it. The jury took an hour and a half to find him guilty. Wow. Yeah. I love when they just know no bones about it. No bones about it. We know who this guy is. A punishment phase was needed to determine if Bart would get the death penalty. And Trisha's brother, Bo Bartlett, and Kent Whitaker both asked the jury to spare Bart's life. But they said that Bart had done what he'd done because of high expectations from the family that had put too much pressure on him. And high expectations, the fool didn't even. Right. And the jury just uh. saw him as spoiled. Bart also spoke to the jury and said that money was never a motive for the murders. It was because he'd developed a hatred for them due to their high expectations. But now he'd found God and did Bible studies in jail. So he was a totally different person. This time, the, ju the jury deliberated for 10 hours, and several of them had tears in their eyes when they came back to the jury box and sentenced Bart to death. Mm. And this is such a difference than what we saw in, like, the Scott Peterson trial, where it seemed like the jury was, like, chomping at the bit, like, so excited to give yeah. him death. It seemed like this jury understood the gravity of what they were being asked to do. And when the jury verdict was read, Kent flinched, but showed no other reaction. I don't know how Bart reacted. No. After the trial, Kent was alone. There were no other members of I his can't. immediate family left that weren't dead or on death row. I mean, that's the hard thing, too. It's like, okay, you've lost your wife. Devastating. You've lost your son. To, like, got murdered mm -hmm. by your other son. Mm -hmm. And there's got to be part of you that, like, even though he did all those terrible things, he's like he's really the only son. thing he had left. Yeah. And you don't want to maybe have a relationship with him, but like that's just another death that you're right. Like three deaths. Right. Uh, your whole yeah, you're by yourself. I don't even 
know how you do that. No, I couldn't imagine. I Wait, could not imagine. Who actually fired the shots, though? Uh, Chris Brashear. Okay. Mm-hmm. He was the only one. He was the only one that fired the shots. Okay. Stephen Champagne was the getaway driver. And Chris Brashear, um, oh, I don't think I got his punishment. I think I just said they said that he wasn't going to get the death penalty. I just can't. The last couple stories we've told where these like teens or like young adults are so flippant about killing their parents, like the party one or the one where the Jennifer uh, Pan. We did one. Well, yeah, but we did one recently where it was like friends, like oh the the bonus episode of Gypsy Rose where it was like someone she just kind of met oh, the guy, yeah and, yeah, and they just are like so willing to kill somebody for someone that they don't. No, like I don't understand. I would never. I know hurt someone else for someone else. I would. I just don't. I. You know, I can get like Stephen Champagne. I don't know how I feel about him. Like from what he's saying at trial, it seems like he got caught up with some bad friends, and then Bart convinced him that he was already involved with conspiracy anyway, so he might as well just help. And he was just the getaway driver. Chris Brashear, I don't know how you convince somebody else to kill your parents. Like, I think he probably yeah. said, like, I'll pay. Like, I'm sure he had some, like, payment plan in mind for when he got his, like, quote, inheritance or whatever. But yeah. So Chris Brashear was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 30 years. That was his sentence. Mm. Kent Whitaker started advocating for his son, Bart. And he appealed the death sentence and even wrote a letter in the Houston Chronicle that asked for the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles to spare his son. So sad. The letter was published on January 18th, 2018. And almost exactly one month later, the board unanimously recommended that Bart's death sentence be commuted to life. Governor Greg Abbott accepted the recommendation, saying that it was for two reasons. And this was the first time he'd ever commuted any sentence ever. He said that he was doing it for two reasons. One, because it wasn't Bart that fired the gun. And two, that Kent Whitaker said that he would be victimized again if the state put to death his last remaining immediate family member. So he is serving life in prison without the possibility of parole. And that is the story of the murders of Patricia and Kevin Whitaker. Oh, man. Okay, we can cut this part, but, like, how do you feel about that? Like, would this be someone that you would have been okay with? Like, this is where I get so, like, I think that if the family – I think if – I think the family should always be listened to when it comes to sentencing. Yeah. And if the family's not asking for death, it's the same thing I feel about poor little Nick – Go to Jean in the Gypsy Rose case. Like, the family's not yeah. asking yeah. for him to be – I mean, he's not the death penalty. He has life in prison. But I think if Ken For sure. If that part – if we didn't know that part. But I, I, I agree. I think whatever the family – I think that there's clearly more than just an evil psychopath here. Uh, you know, there's something going on. I think life in prison without parole is a perfectly acceptable punishment for him. I don't think you need to strap him to a chair and inject yeah, chemicals into his anything. veins that are inhumane and, you know, they're sloppy yeah. about him too. So, and if Kent doesn't yeah. want it, you know, 
Why yeah. do and neither did her sister, neither did Patricia's, um, neither did Trisha's brother, Bo Bartlett. He also asked for life. Yeah. yeah. And the jury made a decision. And, you know, I think that it's to me, it seems like this is one time where the board of pardons and paroles is actually listening to reason Mm -hmm. and not just like sticking to their guns about something. We're just doing this because we want to. We're just doing this because we like for what? Like what? Where's the justice? No, nobody's asking for that here. Yeah. And that nobody involved. And so, yeah, I I I oh. am glad that they commuted it because that's what Kent Whitaker wanted, and yeah. I, I personally don't. You know, I don't think anybody should be put to death, especially in Texas where you will die. Like it's not like California yeah. where you can be sentenced to death all you want. You're never going to die. But here, you will. Yeah. yeah, it's a matter of time. Right. That's crazy. I certainly don't fault Kent for feeling that way. I mean, I couldn't imagine like your son killed everybody in your family. And now the state is going to kill your son. I mean, yeah. it's just like it's. I know. And I would like, I'm sure he's said a million things, whatever. But like I would still, as part of my healing and grieving process, I would want to be able to go to this place and try and make him talk to me. Like, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we're going to talk this out until we talk it out like as much as we possibly can. Like you have to sit here and you have to try. And talk to me. You can't like run off to Mexico. Like, right. I need to see you and I need to try and understand every single thing you're thinking, even though there's no rational like explanation in my mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah. You're going to talk to me and you're going to say whatever pops in your head until something you say makes sense. And yeah. Whether it's the truth or a lie. <laughs> yeah. I just need like, it to I make need to sense. Here, so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, do we have any shout outs? I'm sure we We do. haven't talked about the Patreon. MoGab. The people know about the Patreon. MoGab, we haven't talked about our Patreon. You all, y'all. <laughs> yeah. yeah oh, <laughs> gross. Y'all, not you all. Get out of here. I say you guys sometimes and I have to like, I will stop and correct myself. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, y'all. And they're like, okay. I say you guys a lot because that's what we said in California when I was living my formative years of my youth. Alrighty, I got it right. Oh man, we got another country singer up in here. <laughs> All right, who's going first? I will go first. We are giving shout outs because these wonderful people are patrons and they also filled out the form to get their shout out because they are voluntarily being put on blast. <laughs> if you would like a shout out, you can go to patreon.com slash truecrimecreepers. Shoutouts come with every level, but we've got different levels for your interests and desires. There's the $5 level, which gets you a bonus episode every single month. Then if you hop up to the $7 level, you get mini creeps like twice a month. There are shorter episodes uh, about different stuff. And then at the $10 level... Mogab, what did we just decide to add at the $10 level? Oh, we didn't add anything because it's <laughs> ad-free. We're taking ad-free episodes at the $10 level. So that started with this episode. So you can find this episode ad-free over at patreon.com slash truecrimecreepers. Sorry we didn't tell you that at the front. <laughs> hey, peeps and creeps about the ads. We're very excited. We appreciate all your support. You're going to hear ads now. Guess what? That was always the dream. 
because you girls are getting it. So. All right. So our first shout out, Mogab, want to take it away? Is Melissa, Mel, Mitten Mel, LMAO. Whatever <laughs> floats your boat. <laughs> that day. Ladies. La- Laddie- Lattos. Ladies. Lattos. <laughs> like lassos. Ted Which lassos. one floats our boat? Mel, Mitten? Mitten Mel? Mitten Mel. I like Mitten Mel. Obviously, we're going Mitten Mel. Mitten and Mel. Duh. Do you even know us, Mitten Mel? Thanks, Mitten Mel. <laughs> Next up, we've got Katie and Max Sakura. And if I, so if I got that wrong, I'm sorry. You didn't tell me how to pronounce it. Sakura. I hope it's Psy. Oh no, there's. I was Psych. 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 Katie and Max. Psych. Sakura. Oh, and major shouts to our. All-American, all-star, NCAA volleyball player, Sarah Hammond. Sarah Hammond, I just made that up. I don't know if you play volleyball. <laughs> but if you did, you'd have a jersey. And your lucky number would probably be like 23 because you wanted to play basketball. Wait, my lucky number is 23, but not because of Michael Jordan. But see, Sarah Hammond's lucky number is 23. She wanted it on her jersey. She was going to play basketball, but she knew all the cool girls were like, yeah, I'm going to play volleyball. So she played volleyball, but uh. she still went number 23. And she loved when it was white jersey day because it looked really good <laughs> with her long blonde hair. You've been putting a lot of thought into this. <laughs> I just, no, I just came up with that on the fly. She's like, no, that was top of the head. Tip of the noggin. Yeah. Sarah Hammond, <laughs> you play volleyball? Sarah Hammond. Let me know. Are you, are you a volleyball player? Last but not least, Cynthia. 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 Okay, Cynthia's Remember the coolest Cynthia? name. Because Cynthia was little Angelica's doll, right? From the I was just about to say, do you remember Cynthia from the Cynthia, her like patchy ass hair. (laughs) Cynthia, you probably have gray hair, Cynthia. I bet you do. I bet Cynthia had gray hair once upon a time too, but Angelica ripped it all out. I bet this Cynthia has curly hair, like ringlet curls. Yeah. Oh my God. I I want to start making guesses, and then I want people to report back so we can. I know we still haven't heard from Maddie Tucker. <laughs> Maddie Tucker. Who is the other one? Courtney Bailey. Yeah, but that one drops tomorrow. Okay, but I want stats on how accurate we are. <laughs> like, I want to be able to post a graph of like so far we've guessed it. Here are our guesses. <laughs> Maddie Tucker's a country singer. Uh huh. Courtney Bailey was what? Like just a sorority all star. Yeah, I don't remember what we said. And then. Sarah Hammond's a volleyball player. Cynthia's got ringlet curly hair. (laughs) Are we at least 50 to 75% accurate? (laughs) Well, we already know Maddie Tucker is a country singer because she has to be. Yeah, I already know. I've subscribed to her Spotify already. (laughs) I'm just going to look up Maddie Tucker on Spotify. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, It's happening. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for, I don't know, subscribing. (laughs) please subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy this and follow us on all of the things at creepers pod you can find us on instagram we've got a facebook discussion group that's pretty fun come join us there mogab tweets once a month so that september tweet is a coming it's coming and you might catch it if you follow us over there make sure to subscribe so you'll know exactly when our next episode drops when I'll tell Mogab another wild story. It's going to sound huskier than normal. Mm. Bye, beeps and creeps. <laughs> oh, all right, Phoebe Buffet. <laughs>